Good morning. Well, today is 1313. Did you know that? So be careful when you walk outside, you know. Uh, January 13, 13. Uh, all right. Wow. I... I watched that video, and man, what a, what a privilege we've had here as a church. I, you know, I, did, I just think of what we're going to see in another five years and results in the lives of these kids and parents and adults. It's, uh, it's truly a privilege that we have to do that. Well, today we, we do begin a, a new series, and it's um, out of the book of Genesis, and it's on the life of Abraham. And I might just mention, as, as, uh, as we get into this, uh, we do provide this uh, daily devotion. If you uh, want to have something to take home with you that will track along as we're, as we're doing this series, I know everybody got a lot of good feedback on, on that uh, when we started doing that last year. So I want to make sure you can know you can pick those up when you, when you go out. So let's, let's begin with a scripture that I'm going to be talking from, Genesis chapter 11, beginning at verse 27, and here's, here's what we read. This is the account of Terah. Terah became the father of Abram, Nahar, and Haran, and Haran became the father of Lot. While his father Terah was still alive, Haran died in Ur of the Chaldeans in the land of his birth. Abram and Nahor both married. The name of Abram's wife was Sarah, and the name of Nahor's wife was Milcah. She, had, she was the daughter of Haran, the father of both Milcah and Ishkah. Now, Sarah was barren. She had no children. Terah took his son Abram, his grandson Lot, son of Haran, and his daughter-in-law Sarah, the wife of his son Abram, and together they set out from Ur of the Chaldeans to go to Canaan. But when they came to Haran, they settled there. And Terah lived 205 years, and he died in Haran. Chapter 12. The Lord has said to Abram, Leave your country, your people, and your father's household, and go to the land. I will show you. And I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. And I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. And whoever curses you, I will curse, and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. And so Abram left. As the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he set out from Haran. He took his wife Sarai, his nephew Lot, all the possessions they had accumulated, and uh, the people they had acquired in Haran, and they set out for the land of Canaan, and they, they arrived there. Last summer doing sermon planning that I landed on the idea of beginning this year with a series in Abraham. I, uh, at the beginning of 2012, I, I had done my own, uh, some uh, per, uh, personal study in the book of Genesis, my own uh, personal devotions, and uh, got intrigued all over again with the life of Abraham. And so it was then that I started, I actually started thinking about, you know, maybe, maybe we should do a series on Abraham. When I checked, I was surprised that in these 32 years at Brookside, uh, the most I could find is that I, I probably preached one sermon on Abraham. It was way back when I did a series in the book of Romans in the fourth chapter, 
is, is all about Abraham. And, and so I, I decided, you know, I think, Steve, 32 years is long enough to ignore somebody who's so significant in, in, God's, in God's word. In fact, one of the most significant individuals you're going to find in the Bible. Now, uh, uh, Moses, of course, stands out. He stands out. He's, he's known as the greatest prophet of Israel. David's known as the greatest king the, of, of Israel. But, but I got to tell you that Without Abraham, there would not have been a nation for them to, to lead. And we could even say that apart from God choosing Abraham, there would not have been a savior of the world because it was through Abraham that Jesus Christ would ultimately be born. At the very least, I could say that Abraham played a very key part in the ultimate birth of the Son of, of, Son of God. So there's no, no doubt that Abraham was a very important person in Scripture. Added to this is uh, the unique and prominent place he holds in three of our world's major religions, which if you add the numbers, is a majority of the world's population. I don't know if you knew this or not, what, whether you're a Christian or you're a Muslim or a Jew, you look to Abraham as the father of your Faith and, and, and because this is true of, of three of our world's major religions, I think it could even be said that we, would, we could really never understand world civilization without understanding this man's story. Okay? By the way, uh, one of the things you discover in reading the 12 chapters of Genesis that are devoted to the life of of Abraham, and you, would, you might have picked up on it when I read today's scripture, is that God changed his name from Abram to Abraham. And I'm just going to start using Abraham today, but uh, interesting thing about that is that Abram means father, and Abraham means father of multitudes. So in, in a certain way, we could say that, that Abram meant daddy, and Abraham means big daddy, okay? So... <laughs> He's like the big daddy, all right? And that's, that's how important he really is. Without question, Abraham was a great man. He was a great man. Now, I, I have to tell you, though, if Abraham was standing up here with me right now and, and I've been giving him this in, introduction, by now he'd be, he'd be going, enough already, all right? No more talking about, about me here. He, he'd say, I want everybody to know today that I am who I am. I became a great man. I did what the, the things that I did in my life, all because of the call of God on my life, all because God at one point took the initiative. It was God, Abraham would say, graciously making the first move into my life. That's our big lesson for today, everybody. And really, it's the most important thing that you and I can learn from the life of Abraham. And it's, it's, what, we, it's what you and I want to get, get down before everything else that we're going to discover in the next seven weeks. It's God calling Abraham to follow him. It was God taking the initiative. It was God making the first move into Abraham's life that ultimately made Abraham the man that he was during his years on this earth. The same thing is true for every single one of us here today. The call of God, God taking the initiative, God graciously uh, 
making the first move into your life, God calling you to follow him, it's this that makes it possible for you to have a relationship with God. And, and, and it's what defines you and shapes you for the, for the rest of, of, of your life and makes it possible for every single one of us to make a big difference in the world in which we live. You know, I honestly, I cannot think of a better way to begin a new year than, than with this perspective, you know. The truth that who we are and what we accomplished in 2013 and really the rest of our life, every, every single day of our life going forward from this point on, all comes down to God graciously working in us and through us. I mean, it, it, we're, we're, we're 100% dependent upon the grace of God. Wow. You know, not only does that adjust any little bit of pride that we might have in what we've accomplished or what we're going to accomplish in the future, you know what? Even more than that, it gives you and me the strength and it gives us the courage and it gives us a, a huge amount of peace to know that, that the creator of this universe, that, that God Almighty is, is, loves us so much, is so graciously involved in our lives to this extent. I mean, man, when you think about it, you go... I can do anything because I have God. God's got my back. It's all because of God. There's two things that uh, today's text tells us about the grace of God. I think they're both pretty amazing. First of all, it talks to us about the absolute graciousness of God in each one of our lives. And then secondly, it talks about the fact that God's call is life transforming. So let's, let's look at both of these. First of all, the absolute graciousness of God's call. We see this right away in the Bible. As you read through the first 11 chapters, you discover how desperately things had become for the human race. I mean, there's this, there's a spiraling down Increasing corruption, more violence, more immorality, more oppression, further and further away from God. In every way, this world becoming increasingly broken. And it's into this world that Abraham is born. His father's name, Terah, means, means moon. And it was a name that was given to him because he lived in a city, the city of Ur, Ur of the Chaldeans, which back in the world at that time was the center of lunar worship, worshiping all the planets, not worshiping God. And it's here that Abraham was born, and it's here where Abraham lived until he was an adult. So for Abraham, idol worship was all that he knew. And he was as much an idol worshiper as everyone else around him. Abraham had nothing going for himself spiritually. And there was nothing in his family or the culture in which he lived that pointed him to God. Absolutely nothing. And then God intervenes. 
And in this amazing way, God speaks to him and God calls him to, to leave the place he lived and the people living there and even leave his own family. And most important of all, to leave behind the idols that he had worshipped all of his life, the gods that he had worshipped. This, this was a defining moment in Abraham's life. This was a, this was a moment that was life-changing because Abraham did what God asked him to do which we're going to see a lot more of in the weeks to come. But, but today, today, I want to emphasize one thing. I want to emphasize the graciousness of God's call in Abraham's life and in your life and in my life. You see, because there's two things that are true for, of Abraham and true for you and true for me. And the first one is this, okay? Apart from the call of God to each one of us personally. Without God moving into our lives, without God taking the initiative to reach us, our entire lives would, would be devoted to idols of our own making. We'd, we'd be as spiritually dead as Abraham was before God reached into his life. Abraham had his idols that he worshipped. You know what? You and I can have our own idols that we wrap our life around. Not, not idols made of wood or stone, but, but people or things or desires that we have in our life that are more important to us than God. And, and, and you see, the truth is, the truth is, unless the call of God comes in to disrupt us and disturb us and really to convict us and humble us and shake us up, unless the call of God comes to us and we embrace it, we're just going to be nice little idolaters for the rest of our lives. Every, every bit, a bit as much as Abraham was until God called him. So first of all, okay, First of all, we got to understand this, everybody. Apart from God's gracious call to follow him, you and I had spent, we'd spend our entire lives without God and without spiritual life. And so I want to say right now, thank you, God, right? Thank you, God. Number two, okay, number two. God's call to Abraham was as gracious as gracious could be because Abraham was unqualified for it. There wasn't a single thing about Abraham that made him deserve it. Truth is, Abraham was not a good guy. He was a sinner. And you know what? The same is true of me and the same is true of every single one of you. God's call to each one of us is absolutely gracious because there's absolutely nothing in any single one of us that makes us deserve it. None of us have the qualifications. You see, the, God, the call of God in our life is an absolute act of grace. It doesn't come to any one of us because we're qualified. You're qualified. I'm qualified. Because and only because the call of God comes. It's the call of God that qualifies us. Uh, think of it this way, all right? Um, if I call someone to do some work in our home, um, let's say um, an electrician or 
a plumber. And I get on the telephone and I, I, I thought, you know what, I'm just going to call somebody in the church. Um, I'll just call anybody. You've never done any plumbing or any electrical work, but I just call you. If I called you to come and do some plumbing or electrical work in our, in our house, you know what? My calling you wouldn't qualify you to do that, right? I would only call somebody who's a qualified plumber or a qualified electrician. You know, us calling somebody doesn't qualify them for anything. But you know what? That's very different with God. It's a different deal with God. God's the only one who can do this. God's call gives you the qualifications to become and do what God wants you to do. And that's a pretty wonderful and amazing thing, really, if you think about it. Quite a few of you here today probably have not seen this movie at least you didn't see when it was first made and maybe you've never seen it um, uh, it was made way back in 1964 I, I'm kind of curious anybody ever seen the movie Beckett oh yeah boy quite a few of us all right now, did anybody remember the two men who played the starring roles? Those of you who went, the five of us here today. <laughs> king Henry, it's about two main, two main characters, okay? King Henry, the king of England. Peter O'Toole played King Henry. Did anybody have an idea who, who played Thomas Beckett? Uh, no, you, well, no, you don't, because you didn't go. Okay, it was, it was Richard Burton. Anybody heard of Richard Burton? All right. See, the thing about this movie, it's a movie that's based on the true story of these two men, King Henry and Thomas Beckett, who were drinking buddies, both men as immoral and sexually promiscuous as the other. Eh? Henry ruled England from 1154 to 1189, Thomas Beckett, you know what he was? He was a pastor. He was a leader in the church. Two men with entirely different ranks and backgrounds, but lifelong friends who shared a terrible life of sin. Well, if you know your history, King Henry was in constant conflict with the church. The church wouldn't give him money to support the wars he wanted to fight. The church kept speaking into him about he, that he had to stop oppressing the poor. And what, what really ticked him off the most was the church kept telling him that he had to quit living the immoral life that he was living. So there was not a good relationship between King Henry and the Church of England. And then one day, the Archbishop of Canterbury dies. He was, he was the head of the, king of, 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 uh, head of the Church of England. And you know what? King Henry has a brainstorm. He has what he thinks is a great idea to solve his dilemma between himself and, and, and the Church of England. You know what he does? He makes his good friend Thomas Beckett the archbishop he thinks to himself, well, Thomas is my good old boy. He's my buddy. He'll stop bugging me about doing what's wrong. I've solved my problem. I can do whatever I want to do right now, and the church won't be on my back for doing it. So what do you think? Do you think he was right? No. He was wrong. Henry makes Thomas Beckett the archbishop of Canterbury, and something happens to him. 
Thomas is shaken because he knows that even though that call has come through Henry, and even though, really for all the wrong reasons, and even though he's completely unqualified and unworthy, and I mean, you know, I mean, he defines what it means to be unholy. He's now the Bishop of England. <laughs> he suddenly realizes, in a sense, uh, you know, a, a sense in his heart is telling him he's been called by God. And he realizes the grace of it. He realizes how unworthy he is of it. But it changes him. And he becomes a good person. And he becomes a man of integrity. And he begins to represent Jesus Christ. He begins to represent the word of God. And he begins to call Henry for the things that he's doing wrong. And this drives Henry crazy. And he goes through this immense inner conflict. He loves his friend Thomas Beckett, but he loves his sin more. And finally, he, one day, he's, 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 he, he's like, he's got his soldiers around him, his knights around him, and, 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 and he cannot stand Thomas standing for the church. And he, he said, who's going to rid me of this turbulent priest? He didn't have the courage to ask them to do it, but they knew what he was asking. And so those four knights go to the cathedral and they murder Thomas Beckett right there. 1170 A.D. It really happened. Here's the deal. The call had made Thomas Beckett holy. The call had made him like Christ. He, he was completely unworthy. He was every bit as corrupt as everybody else. But the call had come into his life. And now he's like Jesus Christ. And here's what I don't want us to miss this morning, everybody. The call of God is so gracious. And without it... <laughs> You know what? Without it, your life is a dead end spiritually. And I don't care how nice a person you are. And the call of God is so gracious that it qualifies you to be a child of God. It, it, it qualifies you. And it begins this wonderful, gracious work of transformation from the inside out so that you become a, a different person. And I don't care how bad you are. Isn't that incredible? Grace of God. Doesn't that just give us immense hope as we look at who we are and realize, man, I can become everything that God wants me to be. Because it's God, it's not me. Which brings us to the second thing that we know about God's calling. It. It's that it's life transforming. First of all, because it's a change of our, of our will. At its core, the, the, the call of God is a surrender of our will to the will of God. And, and, and the place where you see this is in the very first sentence of chapter 12 in Genesis, where, where we, we see everything is open-ended. Look, look at this. The, the Lord had said to Abraham, leave your country, your people, and your father's household, and, and go to the land I will show you. Notice what God didn't say. God didn't say, go to the land, latitude, longitude, 24 more miles on the interstate, third exit, turn right. God didn't say that. God said, go to the land, I will show you. 
the writer of the New Testament book of Hebrews makes it very clear that Abraham, when God called him, didn't negotiate where he was willing to go. This statement in chapter 11, we read, by faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, he obeyed and he went, even though he did not know where he was going. More than once, when I had a conversation with somebody who's not yet a follower of Christ, and I've shared the message of God's grace with them, and I've come down to the point of asking them the question whether or not they want to accept that. More than once, I've had someone say something like this to me. Well, Steve, I'm, I'm really interested in what you're, what you're saying. I'm really interested in being a Christian and being a follower of Christ. But does that mean that I'm going to have to stop doing this and start doing that? Or, Yeah whatever this or that may be. You see, the thing that's essential to know about God's call is that God did not give Abraham the option of saying anything like that. Abraham could not have said, you know what, God, I'll get out, I'll go. I'll go, God, if I can know where I'm going to go and I want to go there and, and if, I, if I can do what I want to do. Abraham didn't say that. God didn't give him that option. And if you say that, to God, you're not answering the call. Because you're staying in control of your own life. You're, you're not surrendering your will to the will of God. What, what you're really saying to God at that moment is, well, God, I'll be happy to go if it's where I want to go and if it's what I want to do. Uh, I'm kind of into a movie thing here this morning, so... Let me mention another movie. It's not one that was made in 1964. It's out this year. Anybody go to The Hobbit yet by any chance? Now, I'm, my opinion, I'm not recommending it, but I, I did go. It seemed to go on and on and on and on and on and on and on. But, but anyway, um, by the way, ask Becky about that movie, okay? She is not into that kind of movie, but she had a conversation with her sister who said, you got to go see that movie, the one where they do 48 frames per second rather than the one that's 22 frames per second, which I found out when we got to the theater at 6.45. They don't show that one until 9.30, so we came back, went through the, the 9.30. Ask Becky about that. But anyway, that's not, that's, that's not my point of my story. I, I want to tell you that The Hobbit got my attention because I read that book to our kids, Greg and Nikki, many, many years ago. In fact, I read it before they were born because I'm really into The Hobbit and The Lord of the Rings. I'm a big fan of all of that. Uh, Tolkien, I, great job. But you know what? I thought about this because I've read them all. all. All four books, the trilogy, Lord of the Rings and The Hobbit. I think there's a, I'd say there, there's a big difference between The Hobbit in the Lord of the Rings, the three books in the Lord of the Rings, big difference. I think the Hobbit's an adventure. In the Lord of the Rings is a quest, okay? I've got a point with all this, so stay with me, okay? An adventure is a there and back again kind of a deal. 
it's an exciting thing that you choose. You go and you have your adventure, all of your thrills, and you come home, and after it's all done, and you pick up your life where it was left off. You just keep on going on with life, which if you, if you went to The Hobbit or you read the book, is exactly what happened to Bilbo Baggins, the main character in The Hobbit. He, he has an adventure. He comes back home, and he picks up where he left off. An adventure is a there and back again. But a quest is entirely different. It's not something you choose. It comes to you. You're called to it because you have what it takes to do what needs to get done. And you never really come back from a quest. In a quest, you either die for the quest, or if you come back, you are so changed that really you're not really coming back. You're a different person the rest of your life. You don't just pick up life the way life was. You're changed so radically which is exactly the way it was for every one of the heroes in the Lord of the Rings trilogy. Here's my point. I think the same thing is true for Christianity. In the way I'm using these two words right now, Christianity is not an adventure. It's not a there and back again kind of a deal. It's not adding a little bit of something into my life. Whatever that something is, is Christianity is not an add-on. Christianity is a quest. It's a quest. It's a total change of who I am. It's a change of my identity. I am now a follower of Jesus Christ, and it's a change of my will. It's not me deciding when and where and what. It's a surrendering of my will to the will of Jesus Christ, and I'm never the same person again. That's the mindset we're to have as followers of Jesus Christ. So first of all, the call of God is transforming because it's a change of our will. And secondly, the call of God is, is living, it's transforming because it's you and I living with a sense of, of mission. And, and we see this in verse 2 and in verse 3 in this statement. And we'll just, I'll look at it up here with you. It's, uh, God, God speaks to Abraham and he, God said, I, I will make you into a great nation. And we go, why? Why? And then God said, and I will bless you. And we go, why, God? Why are you going to bless? And, and then God said, I will make your name great. And Abraham might have said, well, why, God? Why are you going to make me make my name great? And then God gives the answer. God said, because you will be a blessing and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. See, everybody, to answer God's call, to follow Jesus Christ means that you and I, we're not making our decisions on the basis of what's best for ourselves. The call of God reshapes you so that you're asking yourself the question, where can I best be a blessing to others? See, the call of God goes like this. God says, if you seek to be blessed, you're going to be empty. You're not going to be blessed. But if you seek to bless others, God said, I'll bless you. I'll bless you so you can be a blessing to others. Now, here's what's so important to know about this. Very often, almost always, for you and I to be a blessing to others, we've got to get out of what's easy and comfortable for us to do. And in a certain sense, we've got to do our own leading. We've got to leave our comfort zone. That's what Abraham had to do. He had to leave everything that was familiar to him for all of his life. He had to leave everything that was comfortable. 
as I was working on this sermon, I started listing some examples of what could make any one of us uncomfortable. And then all of a sudden I thought, no, I, I, wouldn't, I, I can't speak for anybody else here. I, in no way would I want to limit us by what I might put down on that list. So let me just say it this way. Whatever it is, God's been putting it on your heart and you're very aware of a need and, and, and you've got the time and you've got the ability to do it. You've got exactly what it takes to be a blessing to others in that situation. But maybe, maybe you haven't taken that first step to be that blessing because you know what it does? It's going to get you out of where you're comfortable. It's going to get you out of the comfortable life that maybe you've created for yourself. And, and, and you're just hesitating because you know you're going to have to leave it. It's comfortable. Now, I didn't give this one first service, but I'm going to take the time to do it this service. Sorry. Uh, uh, I, of all places, this comes out of Lifetime magazine, and it's about writing resolutions and it's the founder of, of Lifetime. And, and I just, I got to read this to you real quickly. So we'll, we'll put it up, okay? Um, he said, with each passing year, I become more convinced that there's no single right way to approach resolutions. Now, we know he's talking physical stuff, but let's translate it into what I'm talking about this morning, all right? He said, if you're weary of doing them the way you always have, he said, let me offer you an alternative approach. And I love what he wrote. He said, Set aside all thoughts of modest change or incremental improvement. Instead, consider a bold and ambitious possibility for yourself. Come up with a new goal, so unlikely, so audacious, it sounds a little crazy. The kind of idea that initially makes you think, no way, it can't be done. And then he writes, once you have a goal that gives you shivers, and makes your hair stand on end. Your next job is to quiet the intimidating voices that say, it can't be done, and begin saying, if I were going to do this, how would I go about doing it? He said, consider what kinds of daily changes this audacious goal, this being a blessing, might involve what sacrifices and risks it would demand, what trade-offs it would involve. I, don't, I like that. I think it's a great thing to apply to what I'm talking about this morning. Now, we're going we're gonna to celebrate Lord's Communion in a minute. And I just want to talk to any one of you here today who would say, you know what, Steve? I don't think I've ever heard God's voice calling. I don't think I've ever, ever heard the call of God, but I think I am today. What do I do? And I would say to you, in the same way that Abraham, many, you know, do what he did many, many years ago. Believe in God's promise to send you a Savior. Trust in Jesus Christ as your Savior. You, you know what's so wonderful about all of this and why you can do this? It's because Jesus Christ did the ultimate leaving. He left the ultimate security of his home in heaven. And he came down here so that you and I could have the security that we can become a child of God. We can be adopted into God's family. And God can begin that life of transformation. You know, there's a hymn with these words. It says it so well. He left his father's throne above so free, so infinite his grace. Emptied himself of all but love and bled for Adam's helpless race. So I want to pray right now to lead us into communion.
And part of my prayer is a prayer you can pray where you could say, you could say something this simple. God, I thank you for calling me, loving me. And today, I want to accept that call and trust in Jesus Christ. Okay? Let's, let's pray and prepare ourselves for communion. Okay?